Apple presents events at the Apple Store. Let's have a look at the trailer for Dead Man's Burden. Open that door. Ain't telling how many gonna go through. Ain't you hurt? Joe McCurry's dead. Joe McCurry, your paw. He will be missed. This McCurry place? Who's asking? Martha? It's Wade. Your brother. Wade'll kill you. He finds out what you've done. Where you've been these last years. A man who carries a gun like that has a certain kind of pass. <laughs> threatened if I ever came home, he'd kill me. Family don't turn against each other without reason. Not my father, Mr. Lane. Yeah, you certainly are not. Ain't no reason to be scared, little sunshine. You just hold on a minute here. I will strike down anyone who tries to run this here family. here you do anything that's gonna hurt her there won't be no conversation next time i'll let you know about your husband take your hands off the you'll find words about that fella i'm gonna see you honk that's the thing about blood and nothing in this world can truly break it Betraying the only kin you got left. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our guest moderator for tonight, Brian Brooks of the Film Society of Lincoln Center, and our guests, writer director Jared Moshe, and actors David Call and Barlow Jacobs. Good evening, <laughs> Jared. Hello, David. <laughs> Hi. Hi. All right. So um, I'm just going to dive right in, Jared, with uh, the Western, which is not something that you know we see, we see on occasion. It, it, it comes up every once in a while, but it's not something that we might have seen back in like some decades ago. Why don't you, it, this is your directorial debut. Um, you've been a producer. But what, what made you want to go for that genre um, for your, for your, your unveiling? <laughs> Um, I love westerns. They're by far my favorite genre. And uh, when I set out to make a movie, uh, I knew I was going to set out. I was going to make something that I loved because you know you get one. You can only get one shot at this sometimes, and you really got to take your best one. Um, but you know, you talked about how westerns don't really exist that much anymore, and I think that's a well, that's a damn shame. Uh, they are the myth of America. They're how we identify ourselves. In so many ways, they're how we tell stories about our country, and I think there should be more of them. So obviously we saw the trailer and got a little bit of a tease visually um, of the story, but why don't you talk about, why don't you set up sort of the, 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 the story and, and, and where these two gentlemen fit in? Um, all right, so the story takes place five years after the end of the Civil War, and it's about 
a, fa a family that was basically decimated by the war. And the main characters are a brother and sister who are reunited on the New Mexico frontier. And they discover that each other have, well, unforgivable secrets. Uh, Barlow Jacobs in the beautiful jacket is... Great jacket, by the way, I have to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, plays Wade McCurry, who... Uh, is the uh, prodigal son of the McClurry clan who disappeared, went off to fight in the Civil War, um, but was unable to return home uh, for reasons that the movie will reveal. David Call plays the, well, I guess you're Wade's brother-in-law. I've never really used that description before, but, but he is Wade's brother-in-law, married to uh, Martha who is played by Claire Bowen, and she is not here today, unfortunately. But she's only, she's here in spirit. Um, and David is a farmer on a homestead in the New Mexico frontier. Um, he's a man with a past, but he's put it behind him in an attempt to start a new life with the love of his life. Cool. And I was noticing, and you got a bit of a shot of it in the, in the trailer, but the I would say the land itself is also a character. Um, I'm kind of curious, where did you guys shoot and how did you find that location? It, and it's, it, I guess it was autumn, I'm guessing, by the just really, really great shots with the golden leaves in the background amidst the gun shooting, which I want to talk to you guys about too in a minute. Um, you know, any good Western is about the clash of civilization and wilderness. Um, you know, I mean, the tragedy of any Western is we go into this wilderness where we can, that is supposed to represent our hopes and dreams, and then we try to civilize it and thereby destroy what we love about it. Um, in our case, for Dead Man's Burden, we shot in Abiquiu, New Mexico. And what we were looking for, for the McCurry Kirkland homestead, uh, which is the main location in the film, is a place and a, uh, that was that is so incredibly beautiful, you can understand why someone would want to throw their life into making it work. And also a place that was so barren and lonely and desperate that someone else would do anything she needed to do to get the hell out of there. Right. And I, amidst the beauty that I was saying, I noticed that there were, you know, there's a great, what, what I really did like about the film, and I, obviously I saw it before our talk today, but what I really liked about it was there's an intimate story of this family, but there's also, you know, there is the, the action of what one might want to see from a Western. And of course there was some of that was sort of your, your slick gun moves, yours <laughs> along with, with, uh, with uh, the woman who also stars with, with you two. Um, so, I, I was curious, like, was this something that you guys had to really work on to get that down? I, I have to admit, I'm not, I'm not a gun owner, so I don't, but so, right. <laughs> but, but, I mean, at least it looked very convincing to me, so, for, for what, for what that's worth, but, uh, yeah, I was just uh, wondering what your relationship was with your firearms. With the firearms, uh, I had a very, very healthy relationship with my firearms. <laughs> um, no, uh, so, <clears throat> I mean, I grew up uh, hunting and it's around guns, but uh, the guns that we were using in this were black powder uh, weapons. And so that was something that I had to learn. So Jared and I made it a trip down to this guy who has a gun range in the Poconos, and he taught us all about black powder weapons and how to use them and all of that. And then uh, the two guns that we used the most, the two revolvers that we used the most in the film, I actually ended up buying 
Um, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I still have them. Um, you had a very close relationship. Yeah, with I got them. a very close relationship with that gun. Uh, and then actually, the gun trick that I worked on the most that didn't make the final cut of the film, um, but it will be on the DVD. Uh, and you should check it out, was I learned how to spin the gun and like cock it and fire it and spin it and put it back. And I spent like months wandering around my apartment with this gun, just spinning it on my finger, like constantly. I got huge calluses. Uh, I, so yeah, that, that was my favorite gun trick. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, it was fun to kind of, I mean, I think anytime you're doing like a historical film, it's the whole research of everything behind the characters and so like David and I were in LA took the black powder to like the I guess it was the LA gun range like yeah the, there's like well there's a gun range out in Silmar way out in the valley that lets you shoot black powder which is also where the LA SWAT LAPD SWAT team goes to train and they were there one one of the days yeah, so we were just, but I mean, everybody, we look like the biggest weirdos. I mean, like the historical reenactors, like they're like working yeah, with everyone's their Everyone's got their Glocks and yeah. they have these like guns that take five minutes to load. But, you know, these guys, like back in the day, like you had a gun from the age of 10 and it was just with you at all times and you used it all the time. So it was just the repetition of getting familiar with it and using it and using it and using it and handling it and getting comfortable. Right. And this, obviously, as you've said, Jared, this movie, t this film takes place f several years, five years after the Civil War, so I would imagine at that time there were particularly a lot of people who were quite armed. I mean, why don't you give a little bit, you know, a little bit more of the historical context well, of this? Well, one of the interesting things at the end of the Civil War is most of the, well, pretty much all the soldiers were allowed to keep their guns after the war. So you had this, first of all, you had this massive armament program that went into effect both for the North and South during the war where people were making so many guns. I mean, that's why when you see some of these old Western guns, they will be black and then they'll have a brass trigger guard or something else will be wood and they're different color metals is because they were running out. They had to make so many guns and they kept running out of metal. So this is, they just used whatever they had. So when the war ended, you had all these soldiers who now are just private citizens and they own these firearms. And a lot of them, especially the ones from the South, uh, were pretty disgruntled. And they decided that they were going to head west to try to sort of strike out a new life away from the watchful eye of the federal government. Um, and they brought these weapons with them that they were all skilled at using. And um, they became very much a part of life in a way that I don't think they were before the Civil War. I would imagine you, you must have done a lot of historical research ahead of writing the script. Um, um, I actually am a huge uh, history Civil War buff and Western buff. I'm the guy who takes well, my now fiancé to a Civil War battlefield on like our third date. Um, yeah, she's still with me, so that worked out really well. I recommend that to all you guys here. Civil War battlefields, very romantic. Um, <laughs> So I, uh, I I knew a lot going in to it, but and I tried to keep it as authentic as possible when I was writing the story. And I would do research, and I did a lot of research. And then once I had my first draft, I actually sent it off to a friend of mine who's a history professor who happens to specialize in uh, Western American history and post-Civil War United States. And uh, she went through it with a fine-tooth comb, comb and really sort of broke down some of the things that were historically inaccurate issues that I might have. And I had to make changes based on that. Um, but I think, you know, from writing through production, authenticity was something we really strove for in the film. 
Was this so, sort of a history lesson for you guys when you came on board in the cast, or? Like, I, it's funny, I actually grew up um, close to one of the battlefields in Tennessee where um, my character was, so it was interesting, kind of, I spent, like, where I grew up, there's a lot of historical, um, just Civil War history, and so you kind of, it's ingrained in you coming up through high school and all, all the field trips, and so it was, um, but then doing more, and Jared had a, a, a lot of great reference books and stuff like that, so it's always, it's, Whenever you're preparing for a role, like you've got that. But when you're doing a historical thing, there's a whole other level of research. But I mean, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it was like a lot of stuff was was really fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big history buff anyway, uh, especially an American history buff. But um, one of the great things that Jared did was he made my character's backstory at least very specific to like a time and a place, including like down to the town where he was from. And uh, so I did tons of research on the Kansas-Missouri border wars, which were happening in the 1850s in the lead up to the Civil War, uh, when they were fighting, the abolitionists were fighting, uh, people wanted to make Missouri a slave state, and they were fighting each other. And So that history was uh, new to me, but it was also really great to learn because my family was all from that area and lived there during those border wars, although I'm not really sure what side they <laughs> were on. <laughs> I would imagine that, um, well, I couldn't help when I was watching the film, I couldn't, I mean, obviously this takes place at a certain particular time, but I, I could, I kept thinking about certain things that are sort of related to today. Um, and I was wondering if, if I, am I reading into that too much or like, <laughs> uh, no, I, I think that's the beauty of the Western. It's a myth. And why we have myths are there are ways for us, they're the non-truths that help us examine our history and who we are as a culture today. I mean, if you look at even the history of the Western, you know, the, the, the optimism of the Westerns in World War II uh, gave way to the Red Scare style Westerns of the 50s, like, you know, High Noon, which led into the Vietnam era Westerns, which really questioned masculinity. Um, they always find a way to ask questions about uh, contemporary culture. Uh, in this case, it's really about ideology and dogma. Um, I mean, the driving tension of the movie is two characters who have very, very specific dogmas, things that they believe in, and they will go to incredible ends to see those uh, ideas come to fruition. Um, and the question we keep raising is at what cost, you know, is what you believe in more important than the person who's standing right in front of you? Is it more important than your family members? All right. Uh, maybe we'll run the first clip. Yeah. Do you want to intro it or talk about it afterward? We can talk about it afterwards. Okay. We'll run the clip and then we'll chat. If you want to water your horses, be on your way. It's fine by me. Stay inside. I'll be gone soon. Ask him how he knows it, Billy. Thank you kindly. I was wondering if a... Martha? How'd you do so much growing? It's Wade. Your brother. 
us right on out of here right now, mister. It's been a while, I know. But it's me. Sure as a gun. Wait, he's dead. He's killed my horse ten years past on his way to war. You still got that scar from the fever? One right inside your arm? Trip was supposed to take four days, but I had to ride six straight on account of the weather. If I hadn't been delayed, it would have never tried to bleed you. Wait. I ain't dead, little sunshine. Um, so what we just saw there was uh, Wade McCurry's return to his family's homestead, the wonderful Barlow Jacobs. And when he gets there, um, he's basically told his family's all dead. And so he, he kind of doesn't know what to make of it. So as he goes to water his horses and comes back, he discovers that his little sister's all grown up. But what he didn't realize is that she thought he died in the war. Um, so he has to convince her that he's actually who he says he is, which he does successfully at this moment, though there are still questions that need to be answered. And you get a hint there of, uh, of Claire Bowen's performance. She's, I have to say, she, she's sort of a badass, you know? She really is in this, in this you know, she's, you know, she has the gun, She's going to do the shooting, and she's sort of a very steely, determined, even maybe ruthless um, character. I'm, I'm curious, you know, how it was, you guys, how did you guys all work together and come up with sort of your characters or, you know, what was sort of the backdrop before the, the, the cameras started rolling? Well, I knew that, um, you know, basically Claire and I, the Heck and Martha, you know, living out in the middle of nowhere with nobody else around. I mean, back then you lived out there, you'd maybe see other people like every few weeks. Uh, and so I sort of insisted I was going to drive from LA out to uh, New Mexico where we were shooting. So I just told the producer, I was like, whatever actress you get, she's got to drive with me because we got to get real comfortable real quick. So basically Claire and I just took this extended three-day road trip. I mean, I met her when I went to pick her up. I like went to her friend's apartment and she threw a suitcase in my truck and we started driving and yeah, we just got to know each other real well. And then the three of us were staying in the same house during production. So, you know, we'd wrap and the three of us would go back and have some drinks and cook some dinner and, you know. Yeah, it was not, like, I feel like Claire and I kind of stayed pretty distant until right up before we were shooting. And I think, until this kind yeah, of meeting. Yeah, until yeah, we kind of met and we had a, a little bit of time there, but she's such a sweetheart. I mean, she's really a r wonderful person, so it was easy to kind of want to kind of take that, you know, be that person, be that bigger brother to her. And so, um, and she's just really fun to work with, and she is a badass, too. Yeah. She's a badass. <laughs> yeah, yeah so. she, used to, she used to work cattle drives, like for real. And really? Drive, yeah, she worked, uh, drove cattle, so... 
and uh, she's Australian. And she's right? Australian, yeah. and uh, was definitely giving me some pointers on riding the horses. Yeah, I taught her how to shoot guns, and she taught me how to ride horses. Great. And which is great. I mean, her accent and your accents in the film, I mean, they sound really great. How did you perfect that? Or um, I mean, well, <laughs> I I know Claire. I know <laughs> Claire had to had to. Jared gave Claire tapes of Ann Richards, who is the former governor oh, of Texas, yeah. oh, great. who just is like a woman with a beautiful Texas accent. So I think that's about all Claire needed. And then I Missouri is actually interesting because there's not. It was such a sort of mixing place. That, and I mean, we don't really know how people talk back then, but. Uh, I tried to keep my, like, Missouri, I've been there, I got family from there, so I just tried to keep it as kind of, mm -hmm. like, terse and subtle as possible. And then, well, this guy's just born with it, so. Yeah. <laughs> just let it go. Just let it go. So what was the process then when you were just actually doing the filming or, like, during the production, I should say? Was it, was there sort of rehearsing and improv, or was there, would it stay pretty, pretty close to the script, or...? It's, it stayed really close, close to the script. I mean, we rehearsed. Um, I mean, I, one thing that was really important to me is I knew we had a low budget to make this movie, so I wanted to get my cast on board as early as possible. So we could really start the conversation uh, for and months before we set foot in New Mexico. So, you know, I was talking to David and Barlow, and we were, you know, discussing the character, discussing ideas about the character. You know, I, we were giving each other reading homework, and the script was evolving through those conversations and similar conversations with Claire. And then when we got to New Mexico, we really, I think, spent two days in a hotel room rehearsing, doing through the entire yeah. script. And then that really evolved certain scenes in it, which we then took out to the location where we walked through everything. And we knew what we wanted, but we weren't sure 100% how we were going to get to that point. So there was room for collaboration uh, between everyone from these guys to my DP to my production designer, costume designer. Yeah, but, you know, it was also, I think, because we have, we're shooting on such a low budget and with such a tight schedule and we're shooting film film is freaking expensive you know we knew like we only got literally enough feet of film to get maybe two to three takes of each setup so there was that also that extra incentive to, like when we show up we all got to be on the same page know what we're going to do you know Claire and I and Barlow and I would talk about the scenes in our downtime night you know so it was and it was a great way to work I think everyone it makes you really focused and really sort of got to bring your A game. You're not going to get 30 takes to like futz around and figure it out. Yeah, everything was like one or two, maybe three takes at absolute most. And yeah. Um, and I want to get to clip number two in a second, but just just b before we do that, I don't, I don't want to depart too far from this badassity of, of Martha. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm just curious about, you know, I guess you, one doesn't always expect to see such strong female characters in a Western and maybe even movies in general sometimes. So I was wondering if that was just something that you in particularly wanted, or was it a combination of her of her performance, or what? Where did no? Was that, was that, I, I'm wondering like what more like you know how conscious was it on your part to have like a very strong female character? It was very conscious on my part. I really wanted her to drive the action of the movie in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I think there were a lot of strong women in the West. Uh, you know, they were not as public as you'd think, but when you're living out in the middle of nowhere, you know, isolated, and you've been out there five years, 
you know, and death is around every corner. There are rattlesnakes. I mean, we had rattlesnakes on set. Uh, you know, there's flash floods. You know, you could die any day. You know, that's going to create a sense of toughness and strength that I think it was really important to capture in my mind. I really wanted to sort of have, you know, you always see in Westerns sort of the Westerner who has the, who has the bit of the wilderness inside of them. And I don't think that needs to be contained to just men. I think women would have that too. And I wanted to show that in Claire's character. Cool. All right. All right. We'll do clip two and then chat about. Howdy. Ain't no heck brought on any hands. Howdy. Don't be bothering to dismount. I do not believe we had the pleasure of an acquaintance. You're E.J. Lane, banker and killer. I'm gonna bring you for a judge for what you've done. Wait! You, you let him go there ain't a judge for a three-day ride from here. It's quite the impertinent way to treat a guest. I do apologize, Mr. Lane. I think we had move. an. I'd appreciate it if you get my horse. She ain't to be ordered about. Wait, is it? Be glad to know what I'm being accused of. Didn't pick you one for games. Wade. Well, you know that a crime, whatever it may be, requires evidence. So please, present yours. Sorry for your loss. Yeah. I've been known for trying to put reason to accident in my time. I have a sale to attend to. So you can either shoot me in the back like a coward or let me be on my way. guy who arrived on the horse. Okay, so uh, what brought Wade home after all these years was the death of his father, who uh, he thinks might not have died in an accident. Um, and the person he suspects is E.J. Lane, who in that scene arrives at the farm ready to buy the land, uh, to buy the farm. And of course, the greedy banker who wants the land is the very obvious suspect uh, in a murder. 
Okay. Uh, incidentally, I heard a little birdie told me about the house. Um, there's some Georgia O'Keeffe tie-in. Was there, was there something? <laughs> uh, the place where we shot was actually right behind Georgia O'Keeffe's house. Um, there's an entire gunfight in the middle of the desert that if you probably walked like 200 yards away, you'd be right into where she lived and painted and did all her flowers and landscapes and such forth. Oh, wow. Okay. Right on. Um, I want to get to some questions, yeah? So, yeah. Uh, your movie seems pretty good. I was curious to know, like, who scored your movie? Um, That's uh, a good question. My, my composer was, uh, was a, a fellow by the name of Scott Salinas, who I've known for a number of years and have always been really, really impressed with his work. Um, he and I actually started thinking about the score very early in the process. Um, you know, we knew we wanted the music to be very bold and come in in a very powerful way, so it was felt, not kind of sort of, not like, you know, sliding it under a little bit here and there, manipulative. And then we also knew we wanted everything to be scalable so that every, because the, there's a sparsity to the movie, we wanted the, the, the music to be able to be played by as basically one or two instruments at, at times and be able to get bigger from there, but always scale down to that basic level. Um, and actually, before we started, you know, I guess it was about a month before we started shooting, I get this random file sent to me from him and he'd already written, written Wade's theme and, uh, you know, after just from our conversations and it was, uh, it was really great. Um, he captured the essence of the character uh, in a musical form. Uh, very nice movie. Uh, for the gunshots, did you use the actual uh, sounds on the spot, on the location, or...? Uh, no, we did not. Um, it's really hard to actually record gunshot sounds from a distance. You'd have to put a mic right next to it to get it correct. And because they're black powder rounds, you actually have to load the guns with black powder. And then instead of putting a bullet in there, you put uh, wadding. W wadding of basically what is it's it cotton. Like cotton yeah. yeah or paper so you can't put really a full load of black powder in the actual gun or else you know they'd be shooting each other and these guys wouldn't be here today well, you can but like it's gonna propel something out of the end of the barrel you know something's got to come out and you don't want a microphone or a camera or anything near that or someone gets hurt or your expensive equipment breaks exactly uh, in the last scene, there seemed to be a lot of tension between David and Barlow's character, and I know it's a brother and sister dynamic, and then a husband and a wife. So I was just wondering, um, kind of, I guess, the triangle and what you were hoping to get out of the relationship. Is it more based on the brother and sister finding themselves, because they have that familial blood relationship that you can't ignore, versus the husband and wife that have been together forever and have a passionate love for each other? It's a triangle in some ways, uh, in terms of suspicions, I would say. But it's really about family, and there are two families here. There is Wade and Martha's family, and there's Martha and Heck's family. And where the triangle comes in is it becomes a threat to both of those families. Yeah, and I would also say that um, Heck and uh, Wade both have a history that... Uh, is revealed as the film goes on that puts them very much at odds with each other. They're also very suspicious of each other, I think, from the get-go. Yeah. I have a quote from Giorgio O'Keefe, and it says, I found I could say things with colors and shapes that I couldn't say any other way, things that I had no works for. I just think it's kind of ironic. 
<laughs> yeah. No, I think it's very true. Uh, I think that landscape out there really uh, is inspirational. I mean, you go and you spend some time right there and you know uh, what inspired her and the colors and the shapes, especially. Do you, what, are, what, what were Westerns that were in particular were of influence to you for this, for this, for this film? I mean, I know that you're obviously very well, you know, you're very knowledgeable about Westerns, obviously, in general, but just what, which films from the past did you, were you, did you take particular inspiration from? Uh, there were four specifically for this film. Um, Once Upon a Time in the West, uh, which I've mentioned a few times in terms of both, both music and how that film takes the larger mythological issues and really condenses them to a very human story. Uh, Winchester 73 um, by Anthony Mann. The obsessiveness and the darkness of the characters in that um, were very in influential to me. Um, un Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven which, uh, when I was writing the script, the structure of the story uh, really came from that movie in a lot of ways. And um, lastly, uh, which if people are familiar with this movie, they would have got it from the last shot of the second clip, is The Searchers, um, with the landscape being such an important character in the story and really the relationship of this isolated land on a group, a small group of people trying to survive. Did, did you guys get a chance to see these before the, the actual production began? Or did you... uh, yeah, I mean, some of them I'd seen, like Unforgiven, obviously, is amazing. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, Winchester 73, I actually haven't seen yet, which I feel bad, I feel bad admitting that. Uh, but uh, once upon... Why, well, you're going to go home and do some homework tonight. I know, God. I'm doing interviews and I don't even know this stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I watched, you know, Once Upon a Time in the West and then also... Um, you know, uh, just uh, even for I grew up watching like all the f fistful of dollars, a few dollars more, Good, Bad, and the Ugly. Um, and then for me specifically, for my character, actually, Outlaw Josie Wales was uh, very informative. Great guys, let's have a, a warm round of applause for our guest today, and please check out Dead Man's Burden when you have a chance. <laughs>